everybody. Welcome back to Kenzie's Bible Study Podcast. I'm Mackenzie, your host, the girl behind the post-it notes. Um, and last time I left you with a question because we're going through the book of Exodus um, and we went through Exodus 10 and I left you with this question to think about, to wrestle with, to talk to your people about, are you walking in the light? Is your life marked by light and hope? And what might you need to do to yield to God that that what's blocking you from reflecting the light of Christ in the world. Um, I think for me, as I thought about that question, um, my biggest hindrance is my words. Um, a little, a few weeks ago, I did a lesson for my kids at school about how the words that we speak really affect others and our own experiences, and that we need to speak positively instead of negatively and I had this like balloon and we were passing it around of like hey like can I do anything else if my if my whole body is consumed by entertaining this thought or this thing that I'm saying out loud no I can't now what if I start passing the balloon back and forth oh now they're involved in my in my stuff oh and then we pass it around the whole class and it was so cute because the other day I was helping resolve a conflict between two students in that class And one boy, and they're second graders, by the way, they're like literally eight years old. It was so cute. And one boy looks at another and says, you keep the balloon passing. You keep passing the balloon and it's not okay. It's wrecking our whole class that you keep passing the balloon to people. And I was like, oh my gosh, but, um, so cute. But as I did that lesson, I realized, oof. I'm not always good at this. And we guise it by saying like we're venting. But in the end, is that venting really that helpful? I am so stinking guilty of this. Uh, But I never want to vent to someone just to be heard. I want to be heard, of course. But it's so unhealthy and damaging to just unload hardship and negativity on your people and then walk away. I know this because people do this to me all the time. Is that they like just... I don't know if anybody else is like this, but this happens to me all the time. I think people think I'm like their therapist or something and they just dump on me and th- like there's no intro like, hey, Mackenzie, how are you doing or anything like that? Sometimes it's it's truly like I'm in a room and they just start talking about like the hardest thing ever that just happened and then they walk away. Listen, I'm sorry. That's using people. And I know that I've done it. I've been guilty of it myself. But instead, I want to bear the burden with people. Have them give me insight. Have me help them, uh, like have them help confirm in me direction or ask for help in it. Um, and oftentimes what I'll do to pe- with people is like, okay, I hear you because I know you need to be heard. Now, what's the next step? You already have a plan. What's the plan? I'm not here to tell you what to do. And sometimes, sometimes I just need to let things go and stop talking about them, especially after God has already worked it out. Am I right? Anybody else? I think I'm touching something. (laughs) I tell my kids at school that when we let things go, we throw them in the garbage. Let's not go digging in the garbage to bring any of it back out because that's gross. So Exodus 11, here we are, we're coming back into the big climax of this conflict between, between God and Pharaoh. Verse one of Exodus 11, 
Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So listen, the people realized that Moses was a mighty man, and that God, the God of Moses was more powerful than the gods that they served in their land. So now they're going to give to the people back they're like back wages basically the israelites were owed this as as they built up the nation of egypt and they were never compensated for it the people knew so they gave them gold and silver realizing something big was about to happen verse 4 moses said this is what the lord says about midnight i will go throughout egypt every firstborn son in egypt will die from the firstborn son of pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of cattle as well listen this plague it kind of mirrors what pharaoh was doing to the israelites as we read back in chapter one remember he didn't want the population of the israelites to keep growing so he had all the israelite baby boys killed at birth verse six there will be loud wailing throughout egypt worse than there has ever been and there ever will be again so in the egyptian culture the death of any child of course would be devastating but here in this culture, the firstborn son would be absolute and utter anguish. Their religion taught that a man lived through his firstborn son. That is, a man's life would be relived through their firstborn son, kind of like a reincarnation. So if your firstborn son died, the implication would mean that you couldn't live your life through him when you died and you had nowhere to go in that kind of reincarnation. So it was the end of you as well. Verse 7, but among the Israelites, not a dog will bark and any at any animal person or animal then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Here's that distinction again. Verse 8, all these officials of yours will come to me bowing down before me and saying, go you and all your people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. So my wonders will maybe multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. God's saying here, like there's still something left to do. And this is a short chapter. Like that's the end of the chapter. It's crazy. Um, it's a really short chapter. I toyed with the idea of combining chapters 11 and 12, but let's camp here for a minute. I'll save the full Passover story for the next episode. What can we learn from this chapter, even if it's shorter? Because I really do believe that all scripture is God breathed and profitable. Even these like in between sections. So the first, the first one that I was thinking around is that with God, there is relational equity. Um, and I'll explain that phrase in a second. It's so interesting to me that Moses was highly regarded in Egypt. It would be easy for anyone, particularly the Egyptians to have resentment towards Moses. 
They've been through so many plagues and Moses is the face of those. Even though it's a conflict between God and Pharaoh, Moses is who they see. So I could easily see the people saying we need to get rid of Moses, take him out and that will fix our problems. He's brought all these troubles on us, but yet he was highly regarded. In the message version, it translates this as Moses was greatly admired by the Egyptians, a respected public figure among both Pharaoh's servants and the people at large. And on top of that, God worked it out that the Egyptians even liked the Israelites. Again, you'd think there'd be this division and hatred because their leader hated them. They were threatened by them and kept them in slavery. You'd think they'd hate the Israelites because of the whole conflict. The whole conflict was about them and their freedom, but they didn't. It says in verse 3 that the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. And this word favor that the Egyptians had for the Israelites is the same word used in Genesis 6 when it says that Noah found favor or another word is race in the eyes of the Lord. You actually see this word over and over and over in scripture where someone has what I would call relational equity with another or with God. Um, And some of you might say that you have pull, you have pull with somebody. It's the strongest currency that we have is with those around us is this relational equity. Relational equity is the way that a person gives or receives value and influence with others. When you do things that add value to someone else, you're making like a deposit in your own leadership or relationship bank. And when you experience a negative interaction, you give some of that up. The greater the equity, the greater the trust and influence. The lower the equity, the less the trust and influence. Relational equity is something that's carefully cultivated and per. Uh, preserved by those who desire to have influence or lead others. It's like this intentional investment in relationships over time that causes others to trust, count on, value, and appreciate our relationship, whether it's a close one or from a distance. And this relational equity is really important if we want to speak into the lives of others or allow them to speak into our lives. We listen to those we trust and who we know has our best interest in mind. And so we have this sway with people who can make decisions when we have relational equity built with people. It's like this thing that I'm always trying to build, to build relationships with people who have influence on certain things. For example, I had a problem in my job this year and I have some, just I had a little bit of relational equity built with a man who was higher up in the district, someone who could actually help my situation And so I leaned on that little bit of relational equity that I had and that helped my my, situation a ton. With God, because of Jesus particularly, we have two types of relational equity or pull or sway, you might say. The best person to have relational equity with is Christ, which is really easy. First and foremost, we have it with the Lord because of Jesus. Colossians 1 tells us that we were enemies of God and Jesus came to reconcile us to himself. Let me read Colossians 1 starting in verse 13. It says, for he, speaking of Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have 
been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and I, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the good news of the gospel, you guys. And it's so much more than conflict resolution. Like, it's not that we were enemies with God and in his mercy we can choose to give our life to him and acknowledge him and we don't have to go to hell. Though that's true, but it's so much more than that. Let me throw these definitions out at you. Justice. The definition of justice. Getting what you deserve. I deserve separation. I deserve hell. I deserve punishment for my sin. It's what you and I deserve on our own. But then there's mercy. And that's not getting what you deserve. We deserve all those things. And the mercy of God is that when we become Christians, we don't get the things that we deserve. But let's go back to the word that's used in this chapter. Favor. Or in many other other areas of scripture, the word that's used is grace. Grace is getting something that I do not deserve. I deserve separation and hell. I deserve punishment for my sins. But but in God's grace, not only does he al- not allow that to happen for me, but we are reconciled to himself and we get to be with Jesus and we get to partner in the kingdom of God. This is God's riches at Christ's expense. Reconciliation in this text is to reconcile completely and fully to bring someone back to harmony and peace. It is full restoration. So when we request things of God, we don't have to cower and hope that he gives us what we need. And we don't have to build any relational equity. We don't have to do a bunch of things so that God might do something for us and that we might have sway with him because we're his favorite. Or we don't have to make like make sure that we don't make any mistakes so that he doesn't strike us down like an ant on a sidewalk, but rather we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Hebrews 4 says this, let us come therefore boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in and help in time of need. Philippians 4 says that the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, the peace of God, the reconciliation of Christ to peace and harmony with the creator of the universe, that peace, that grace, that favor. It says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Paul says this in his letter to the Ephesians, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. 
Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for age, ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he may that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. He says, I am the least of these. I don't deserve any of it. But the mystery and the miracle of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we have confidence and freedom in our relationship with God because of the gift of reconciliation. So all of that is to say that you have relational equity with God because of Jesus. Jesus is crazy about you. He's not annoyed with you. He loves you. He delights to show you mercy. It's his favorite thing to do is to keep reconciling you back to himself and he will not lose you now. Romans 8 says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or just destitute or in danger or threatened with death. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Let me say that again. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So all of that to say, we have relational equity with the God of the universe because when he looks at us, he he sees us not as our human selves, but he sees us as covered by the blood of Jesus reconciled back to himself. He hurled all our sins into the depths of the sea, as Micah 7 says, and remembers our sin no more, as Jeremiah 31 says. So we have that. But I also see how God works all things together here. God smoothed the hearts of the Egyptians towards Moses and towards the Israelites so that they would have relational equity or pull or sway with even other people. Now, it's not a promise that everyone will like you because you're a Christian. In fact, the opposite is usually promised. But I see in scripture and in life a lot of times where God works it out, where people particularly listen to those he's appointed. It's God working his will out through the lives of his people. Um, I feel like it's one of the ways that I can see the fingerprints of God in, the, in this world, that he raises people up for influence and against all odds they're successful. I, I just think of this is, I just think this is one way that God works things together for our good. It's one way that God provides what we need is through other people. And the most fun times are when he 
provides through the most unlikely of people like the Egyptians giving the Israelites what they need and frankly deserve for their hard labor for hundreds of years but if it were me I would just want the freedom and forget the goods and the money just let me go I'll take it but God gives them their freedom and everything they need as they exit Egypt that's grace So that's a cool thing for us to remember, that we will be delivered from our sin. We will be delivered from and through all of our situations in life. And God will provide for what we need next. Watch for it in the most unlikely of people and places. And work that relational equity out with the people around you. Present the gospel. Be a great ambassador of Christ in your world. Love and serve the people God has given you well. And that is all I have for today's thoughts. A short chapter, but you can always find gold when you dig for it. So today I'll leave you with this question to think about and wrestle with and talk with your people about. How have you seen Jesus bring reconciliation in your life? What peace has God given you or what has been the most significant way that God has worked things together for your good? Tell that story to someone. Thanks so much for joining me. You can, of course, always find me on uh, Instagram at Kenzie's underscore Bible. And for now, have a great week.